0: Arupa realm, and it seems slightly odd to use the word realm in conjunction with the word formless. So, this is a very, very high and refined condition of consciousness. And I believe the Buddha, uh, the Bodhisattva, had practiced in some way perhaps these formless
1: types of meditations. Yes. Yeah, mastery into those uh, meditations is very advanced. And it's really the peculiar genius of the Bodhisattva that he was able to attain to those states. And his teacher at the time praised him and uh, said, now you've attained to the ultimate. And he was able to know, well, no, this is still within conditioned existence. Mm -hmm. I think almost anybody else would just assume this has to be the ultimate right because they're so subtle and they are
0: they're completely abstract rather than concrete there's no substantial imagery there there's just these mm-hmm. these uh, very hard to grasp ideas now let's talk about perhaps what they mean so just list off
1: the the four Arupa meditation? There's the realm of boundless space, the realm of boundless consciousness, the realm of nothingness, and the realm of neither perception nor Mm non-perception.
0: So when you try to visualize or imagine boundless space, uh, are there any hints or suggestions about how one would go about that?
1: There is a... um, a methodology for developing these meditations that that the Buddha laid out with a couple of variations. Mm -hmm. But the basic idea is you find it by abstracting away the physical plane. Mm -hmm. And one way of doing it is to develop a meditation, Mm -hmm. which is meditation on a visual disk. And then you expand the disk to a very large space in your mind and then Mm -hmm abstract it out and just pay attention to the space that's left. Uh-huh. Space itself. It's very difficult, <laughs> demanding. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, exercise in abstract, I'm mean, glad you used the word abstract thinking. Mm. And this is what, uh, not everybody, even in, in the modern day, we, we're quite familiar with abstract thinking. When we talk about, when we teach children uh, arithmetic, we, we say two apples, and two apples is four apples, or equals mm-hmm. four apples. But what we can't just say to them, two and two is four, because they're concrete, they, they need things. Yes. But eventually mm-hmm. the, the apples drop away and we're left with two and two is four. It seems to be to us to be perfectly sensible. But we're really not talking about anything. Mm-hmm. We're talking about an abstract principle. So this is what they're doing in a sense with, with space. I often think this might be a, a new period in history. The idea of abstract thought that doesn't require forms. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's kind of platonic. Yes. It sounds like it's the idealism of
1: Plato. And, and the idea of space itself is not, is actually not trivial or obvious. There were debates in early Buddhism about what exactly was meant by space. Mm-hmm. The Sarvastivada school, for example, considered space to be unconditioned, mm-hmm. like Nibbana. Yes. The uh, Theravada always held that only Nibbana is unconditioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, they developed a definition of three kinds of space. The first kind is uh, the space that's created, like when you dig a hole, Mm -hmm. then there's a space created. Or when you build a uh, a house, you create a space in the rooms. The second kind of space is the kind that's developed in meditation by removing the casino. Mm -hmm. And the third kind is space as an abstract idea that you can have discrete objects separated by some distance of kilometers or yojanas or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is the idea of space that's meant in boundless space. And of those three, only the first one, creative space, is considered to be conditioned. And Mm -hmm. that's obvious, we condition a space Mm -hmm. by digging out the hole. The other two are considered not real. They're only um, conventional concepts. That's
0: very very interesting. I mean that 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 kind of logical processing really didn't occur in the West until you know, Wittgenstein. Mm. <laughs> the, the idea that words yeah. do not necessarily point to something real. Mm. It's amazing. How so? This is is dwelling on this uh, meditation on space that one would after death proceed to be reborn i mean for yes. lack of a better word yes reborn yes. in in this non-spatial dimension
1: yes yes um and this is uh this is in itself a very useful contemplation to imagine uh, these beings that exist for long periods of time entirely without bodies this is uh a very useful contemplation for discerning the difference between mind and body. Mm-hmm. Because in any other point in samsara, any other, whether we're humans or animals or devas, mm-hmm. our consciousness, our mind is normally associated with a body. And it's, it, it becomes a difficult exercise sometimes to discern what is mind and what is body. Mm-hmm. That's actually one of the, the insights. But there are two cases where mind can exist without body. Mm -hmm. One is the brief period between death and rebirth. And the second is mind arising in this realm without any physical substrate. Mm -hmm. And this is a very subtle and difficult concept. And even in in ancient times, there were tendencies in later Buddhism to try and um, Make some kind of a qualification of that, that while there still has to be some kind of body, a subtle body of some sort. But that wasn't the intention in the original teaching, mm-hmm. the original texts. It's quite clear. This is for Kanda existence. Mm-hmm. There's no physical form. There's only mind, perception, feelings, and mental formations.
0: And this would be how it would be experienced in meditation, it would be an entirely bodiless experience. Yes. Um, Yeah, so let's go on to consciousness again. uh, Boundless consciousness, that's that's even harder to grasp.
1: Yes. Space, the the first one, boundless space, still has this uh, very tenuous connection to the physical realm in that space is a concept related to physicality. But when you abstract away space, and what's left is consciousness. Consciousness pervading infinite space, you remove space, there's just infinite consciousness, mm-hmm. without reference to space. So we're not talking about like spatially extended, it's mm-hmm. just, it's boundless. There's no boundary of any kind, and it cannot be uh, located in space, <laughs> yes. you know? the location is a quality of yeah. Physical level of rupa kind of yeah.
0: very interesting.
1: Developing that
0: now, let's talk about lifespans in these time, uh, these planes of, of so-called existence. Uh, does it increase in uh, duration as it, it
1: goes up? It does. The, They're measured in thousands of kappas, kap- thousands of, of kappas, eons. Yes, yes. And each successive realm is. Uh, longer lifespan span in the preceding realm. Mm-hmm. So these are very immense stretches of time. Yes. Um, Unimaginable kind of concepts. Yes, yes. The whole world's systems are coming and going thousands and thousands of times. Yes. It being persists in a state without any body. In modern times we just talk about...
0: Uh... 10 to the power of 30 or something like that, or how many zeros you want to add after it. We can't process those numbers either. There's astronomical numbers, but the, yeah. that's our, our modern equivalent. Yes. Yeah. Is. is there anything more to say about consciousness, this infinite consciousness
1: plane? Um, there's really not much more we can say about it, but as subtle as it is, it's still transcended by the next level, which is the level of nothingness, which is akinshayatna, <laughs> which is really like no-thingness. No-thingness. Uh, so even the concept of consciousness falls away. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a much more attenuated and uh, void kind of state. Mm-hmm. It's a great emptiness. There's no thing. There's nothing you can point to there. Right. And then that itself, even nothingness, becomes too busy. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> Minimalism taking to the extreme. <laughs> yes. So the next stage is uh, defined as neither perception nor non-perception. Nevasanya uh-huh. naasanya, uh, and the name is given as uh, uh, almost like an act of desperation. What are we going to call this? It's so subtle. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's hard to define. It's not perception because there's no real sense of subject or object, but it's neither non-perception because it's not an empty blankness, it's not an annihilation. There's some perception that you are in this. There's a very dimension. subtle perception. Now, the, there are a couple of kind of charming metaphors that are given mm-hmm. to bring out this idea of, the, of um, neither perception nor non-perception. They both concern A bhikkhu and a novice going on alms round. In the first um, metaphor, the novice spies that the bhikkhu is about to step into a puddle of water and he warns him and says, Venerable sir, be careful, there is water. And the bhikkhu says, Oh, good, there's water. Will you fill up my water flask? And he says, Venerable sir, there is no water. Mm -hmm. And the second one is similar. Um, uh, Somebody wants to offer some ghee and um, the monk is going to take it in his bowl, and the monk and the novice says, uh, "We can't use your bowl, venerable sir. There's oil. He's oiled the bowl mm-hmm. to protect it." And the monk says, "Oh, good. There's oil. Fill up my oil uh, oil flask." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Venerable sir, there is no oil." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's
0: it's their way of uh, describing the least possible amount of yes. Even we have awkward ways of trying to describe that it's, it's, it's not there substantially, but there is
1: traces. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can, one way of thinking of this state is it's samsara at the bare minimal. Mm. It's um, the very least amount of conditionality or samsaric existence. It's the most subtle form, but it's still within the conditioned realm. There is some... Is there mm-hmm. some feeling remaining? Yes. It's, it's said that there are the um, the other aggregates, but mm-hmm. the feeling is is always equanimous. Mm-hmm. There's no joy or unhappiness. Right. It's just a peaceful equanimous feeling. Everything after
0: the, four, or the fourth jhana on is is characterized by equanimous feeling.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now one thing that... Um, uh, I'm curious about that. I don't. I haven't found a um, statement of it. Is the, f- the faculty of mental formations hmm. uh, would a being whose mind only for aeons of time hmm. do they think and what do they think about?
0: Sankaras. I mean, uh, yes, sankaras. Uh, and I you know, it seems to me that uh, certainly that, Ideation has to be absent because it, it ceases in the, by the second jhana, right the uh, discursive activity mm-hmm. uh, but it's kind of the resu- it's a kind of re- uh, resultant of volition, like the, the uh, getting in at that, at that point there, it's a matter of just uh, the exhaustion of the karma, I think, and then it pops out.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh,
0: it's hard to imagine that it's <clears throat> experienced at all in any way but there is some sort of a quantumist feeling remaining. Mm -hmm. Anyway, these are abstract, (laughs) very difficult to manage. We call them realms now that by the last realm, either perception or non-perception, it's got to be fantastic durations. Is it a desirable realm to go into from a Buddhist point of view, or is it problematic
1: because of the incredible duration. Well, incredible duration doesn't really matter mm-hmm. in, in the total run of samsara. Mm-hmm. It's considered to be a, um, a fortunate rebirth yeah. because there's no suffering. Yes. And so you stay there for 8,000 cups of time mm-hmm. and then you have to do stuff. You can report somewhere else and so you have to yes. carry on.
0: And if you pop out, when there is no Buddha around, uh, perhaps you miss the opportunity for enlightenment.
1: Yeah, the, yeah. If I
0: recall, yeah. uh, was it the the Brahmin who determined that the baby Bodhisattva was going to become the Buddha, he did not did not live long enough to see the Buddha, and he uh, well, he entered into the Arupa? He entered Pana? into one of the Arupa. Yeah, so he missed that. He yeah. was very, very disappointed. In, yes. In, yeah. Yeah. So it can be a missed opportunity to uh be around in the in a time when a Buddha arises mm-hmm. and the Dhamma is made clear. This is some sort of critique also of the the discovery of these Arupa dimensions of consciousness preceding the time of the Buddha. Yes. It's all a little bit confused as well. I, I the story seems to be that the Buddha attained these things. And then, having found them lacking, he goes off to explore his own path process and remembers, as a child, entering the first jhana. Yeah. And you would have thought that in order to develop the arupa jhanas, you must know about the form, the rupa jhanas. Yeah. Something as simple as that, but it seems that he's, he's... Coming, he, he doesn't reference his training. He references his childhood, uh, go, entering jhana as a child. It's very. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, some some explaining to do there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, you know that is a point that's occurred to me too. That this is a, a kind of a difficult uh, crux in the, in the text. Yeah. Um, my speculation is that the. A state of arupa jhana is more conducive to actually preparing the mind for realizing the unconditioned mm-hmm. that the arupa realms are too subtle in one sense they're too close to the unconditioned mm-hmm. there's nothing to work with there mm-hmm. whereas whereas developing the jhana the mind still has the capacity of um Taking an object. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It also seems that by that, that one could bypass the development of the rupa jhanas and go straight to the arupa Yeah, I think that's somehow. also that's also yeah.
1: possible too. Yeah. I don't think it's it's necessary to follow things in the precise order. But these remain uh, more or less
0: speculative uh, issues, don't they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we won't attempt to firmly decide one way or the other in, in this brief talk yes <laughs> but to allow people something to reflect with and uh, to work with uh about these because uh, there's a lot of strong opinions about the value of these things mm-hmm. you know there's some rejection to ignore that go straight on to inside and yeah. Or what is the benefit of this or do here's the mm-hmm. other question is it the case that arahants all have necessarily attained
1: the arupa? No, uh, that's definitely can be stated. No, that, yes. that it's not required. There is a principle stated in Abhidhamma that jhana is necessary for realization of path and fruit, mm-hmm. so that uh, the the rupa jhanas, the rupa level of consciousness, is required. The Buddha also mentions in brief, without ever developing it much, the idea of bare insight. Mm -hmm. Although usually when he spoke about a path, it was through the four jhanas and then realization. But in later times, particularly in Burma, there have been the development of schools of bare insight meditation. But when you examine the the theory behind them, they still admit that there has to be jhana, but they say it's a momentary jhana. Yes. But, that the yeah. the path moment occurs
0: with the intensity of jhana. Yes. It's of course a, a very interesting but, area, which uh, is somewhat outside of our cosmology videos, but we'll perhaps do some more on
1: uh, Abhidhamma yeah. sometime. <laughs> but the um, the benefit of uh, arupa states yeah. is to open the mind both to emptiness mm-hmm. and to the discernment of body and mind and I think you know as as I said, mastery of those states is very advanced, but I think you can get a glimpse of those states mm-hmm. by working with this idea of um abstracting away mm-hmm. there's Another sutta that uh, the Chula Sunyata Sutta, the Lesser Discourse on Emptiness, mm-hmm. where the Buddha lays out a, a path of development for these arupa states, that any reasonable, a reasonably competent meditator can get at least a glimpse of mm-hmm. an idea, is by starting with ordinary reality, which is perception of village, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, in the mind, abstract away any man-made objects so that all that's left is nature, and that's perception of forest. Mm -hmm. Then you abstract away all living things, so there's only earth. Then you abstract away the earth, and there's only space. Mm -hmm. And then you dissolve the boundaries of that, and it becomes boundless space. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, from there, you're in a state of mind where consciousness is filling boundless space. Mm. So, if you cease to pay attention to space, you're left with boundless consciousness. Then you cease to pay attention to consciousness, and all that's left is no-thingness. And then you can attempt to make the last Mm -hmm. tricky step and not pay attention to the concept of nothingness. Yeah, that's very good. Um, Nice explanation
0: as good as we can do is, as always, uh, it's, it's very clarifying. Um, confronting these things, usually when you read about them, it's left with a bewildered mystery. But yes. these are all very helpful um, descriptions of both how to approach this, but also this mysterious and difficult to grasp idea of existence in these dimensions of bodiless mind. Yes.